0: Okay, guys, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started up here. Uh, I want to be, to start this morning, I'm going to be very clear with you guys about where we are going. And my hope and my prayer uh, for for the sermon this morning, for what God reveals to us in His Word, is that you would leave here this morning with the courage to engage with anger. That you would leave here this morning with the courage to engage with the anger that is in your life. And for some of us, that means the courage to admit that there is anger that's even present in our lives. And for some of us, that's the courage to engage in disciplining the anger that we know is in our lives. But regardless of of, of what it is, my hope and my prayer is that you would leave here this morning with with the courage to engage with the anger that is in your life. So I'm gonna invite June Joseph to come up. June is gonna be reading uh, our scripture for us out of Isaiah this morning. So this is out of Isaiah 65, and this is gonna be verses 17 through 25. And I'll just tell you, you it, the anger may not jump out to you at this pa- from this passage. That's okay, I promise we are gonna get there.
1: Okay. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a 100 years old, and the sinner a 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands they shall not labor in vain or bear bear children for calamity for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the lord and their descendants with them before they call i will answer while they are yet speaking i will hear the wolf and the lamb shall graze together the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord.
0: Thanks, Jim. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we ask that this morning that you would come by your Holy Spirit and that you would enliven our hearts. Lord, that you would, uh, that you would breathe Over us and into us, Jesus, that uh, we confess our hearts so often uh, are medicated, Lord, are numb. Uh, We ask that you would be waking us up this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. so like I said, my agenda for this morning and, and what I think that the word is speaking to us this morning, is there's a call in here that we would be a people who are willing to engage with our anger. And for a lot of us, uh, that can be, I don't know about you, but I will say it's true for me, I think it's true for a lot of us, uh, that can be like, a scary thing. Uh, and w- I say that because uh, when we think about anger, I think we often think of, uh, well, I'll tell you this, there's this YouTube video of Nicolas Cage, and there, I guess there are probably a lot of videos of this, but there's this montage of Nicolas Cage uh, screaming for 10 minutes straight. Okay, so what someone has done is gone through all of Nicholas Cage's all of Nicholas Nicholas Cage's movies, and pulled clips out where all he does is just scream, and apparently this is the guy that you like get in Hollywood to be in a movie when you need someone to give a good scream because he loves to do it. Ten minutes of just him sc- in all of these different of just screaming, and often I think that is the way that we think about anger, that that is what anger looks like this kind of rage-filled scream fest. And some of us, when we see that, or because of what we've experienced in our lives, that when we think about anger, that's what we think of, and we say, I am never going to touch that. Because of the ways we've been scarred by that, we push away from anger, we reject it in our own lives, and we reject it in other people. we, We can buy into this idea that being a Christian actually means I should never feel anger. That conflict means that there is something wrong, that I'm doing something wrong and following Jesus. Or we can be on the flip side of that. And some of you know this, that you, you know what it's like uh, to be like Nicolas Cage, Right? To be someone who, when anger like, wells up, that what it does is it comes out as that kind of rage, as, as screaming, it's, it can be so demonstrative. And, and for some of us, uh, anger is like, a, is like our superpower. That it's what makes us get big, and it's what allows us to control or to manip- manipulate or to get other people to become really small around us. Anger can be a very effective tool. it could also cause a lot of harm and a lot of pain. And what this passage is calling us to is that we would be a, a kind of people whose longing that is stirred up in this passage, that that longing would also stir up anger in us. And that the love that is in this passage would also discipline the anger that's in our lives. That anger would be a part of God stirring up our longing, directing that longing, and that this that what is true about the gospel, what we see in this passage, would also bring discipline into the anger in our lives. Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. So let's talk first about longing. We've been talking about longing all month, all through this Advent season, as we've worked our way through different passages in Isaiah. Isaiah is a book that's all about longing, right? Isaiah, we've talked about this. Isaiah is this Old Testament prophet. And the, and the point of, of uh, having, having prophets was to wake the people up, to grab them by their shirts and shake them and say, hey, you got to pay attention. That what's happening here is not good. We've talked about how that, that happens in a lot of different ways, that prophets do it with warnings about what's coming. They talk about the darkness that's in us and in the world, and they also do it by by waking us up to hope, by saying there's a future coming that is better than you can even ask or imagine. But in the midst of the calamity and darkness that the hope that they give us, that Isaiah gives us, it strengthens us and it allows us to bear up under the suffering that would push us down in this world. And we see that here happening again in Isaiah 65. It's another picture that we get of God's plan to redeem all things. Verse 17 says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. That language, new heavens, new earth, that is a throwback to Genesis one-one. In the beginning, God created... The heavens and the earth, yes, right? That God, what, what Genesis is telling us in that very first verse is that God created everything. But he says, behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. What he's saying is that God is going to recreate, God is going to redeem, God is going to restore everything. But he's going to re- remake and restore everything because everything in our world has been touched by sin and brokenness. We've been affected by death. And, and the idea of all of creation being restored and redeemed, uh, that can be a challenging thing for us to wrap our imaginations around, right? And so what, I, I, what Isaiah is doing here in this poem is he's, he's using pieces of our lives that we can kind of connect to, and then he's showing us how those things will be better as a way of helping us open up our minds and our imaginations to the goodness that is coming for us in a new heavens, in a new earth. We see it in verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. That what Isaiah is acknowledging is the pain of death that so often interrupts our worlds and our lives. The accidents that take uh, infants f- from us. And then when that happens, we cry out and we say, that's not good, that's not right. And Isaiah is saying, God is saying through Isaiah, you're right. And there will be a day where that doesn't happen anymore. There sh- there won't be an old man who does not fill out his days. That what Isaiah is pointing us to is this time where where we will not be affected by the diseases, by the degradation, by the breakdown that accompanies getting older. We're going to be free of that. That's not going to happen anymore. He talks about uh, us being like a tree. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. I don't know if you ever have this experience, but I think about this sometimes as I'm out walking, like at Shelby Bottoms, that there are trees there that were there before I was born, and those trees will be there after I die. That's the picture of a tree that Isaiah is using here is the, the long-lasting nature of trees. He's saying that will be true about us. That is, how, that is how far away death will go is that there will be a firmness and a rootedness in who we are as people that will go on and on and on. In verse 22, he says, there shall, they shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. That often, the, the reality that Isaiah is calling out is that often uh, our work can feel fruitless. Did you ever experience that? Like the work you're doing, it feels like you're just spinning your wheels. And the metaphor here is like you build a house, but then something happens and you're forced to move out of the house. You plant a vineyard, but you never get to taste the fruits of that uh, because someone else has invaded and kicked you out of your house or the vineyard has died or, or something has happened that's made that impossible. And while we don't often plant vineyards, that's true about our work, isn't it? that we can invest all this time and energy and effort and yet feel like it gets taken from us or, or it doesn't live up to what to what we had hoped for when we made that initial investment. And God is saying there will be a time where that's not true anymore, where the curse that sits on our work will be removed and that we will continue to build and to create and to cultivate, but we'll get to experience the joy that comes from those things with freedom. the creation that we engage with will be unmarred by critique or comparison. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. What Isaiah is saying is that our joy will be maxed out, will be filled to overflowing. In that picture, we've talked about this a number of times, but we will keep talking about it. This is so much more than an endless rock concert in heaven, right? No, that's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about a place that we are actively engaged as as people in the work of of tending to creation and helping it to become what it was created to be, of us becoming who we were created to be, of us being in each other's lives as, as we all become who we were created to be in the light of who God is. That that is the new heavens and the new earth. So much more than an endless golf game. As if the best thing that we could imagine is simply being entertained for the rest of our lives. No, this is not an endless vacation. This is a new heavens and a new earth. In the midst of darkness, what, I, what Isaiah is doing to the, for the people is he's providing them hope. He's saying, This is a hope that is coming. What he's doing is he's stirring up longing in them. And that hope, it aches, doesn't it? As we anticipate what the world could be like, but it's not like yet. And that ache happens because it requires us to acknowledge that the world is not as it will be. That's painful. I think at the Christmas season, we often substitute that hope or that longing with nostalgia, don't we? Because nostalgia, it plays on that pain. It rips on the pain. But rather than looking forward to what will be, it causes us to look back on what has been, but it causes us to look back on an imaginary past. That if only we could go back to pogs and Pokemon cards, everything would be better, right? <laughs> I could think of was Uncle Rico. Man, I used to be able to throw a pigskin, you know, over those miles, a quarter mile. Doesn't matter if you don't know who Uncle Rico is. You know what Uncle Rico, right? Who will tell you? Oh, back in my prime, back in the day, I used to be able to. I could. That nostalgia is a way of anchoring our. It, it's not a hope. It's anchoring our joy in the past, an imaginary past that doesn't exist and probably never existed. It's full of self-glory or self-pity. No, our hope, our longing, it directs us forward into the future and it says there's a day coming. And you've got to know that if you are walking with Jesus, that is an ache that is not going to go away until he returns or we go home to be with him. Because there are times where we experience that ache and we think, oh, something must be wrong. Friends, that, is not, that does not mean that something is wrong. In fact, that may mean that something is very right. It may mean that what God is doing is he's stirring up in you a desire for the home that He is preparing for you. And that what we should expect is that our Christian life, the whole, the whole span of it, will be marked by an increase in longing in us for the home that God has prepared. in the not yet of God's promise, that it hasn't fully come yet, and that's painful. Okay, now here's where anger is important, because what can happen is that uh, that makes us sad, right? That would be the emotion word that we might associate with that, with that aching, that waiting, that it makes us sad to be in a place where there's so much pain and suffering, where the world is not as it, as it one day will be. what can happen is that sadness can, uh, can be the only thing that comes to dominate our Christian life. And we can kind of end up sitting on our hands. Well, this is just the way it is. It's a broken world, you know? So get used to it, get sad, and just kind of hang out in that. i man, I will tell you, I'm all for sadness. We've been preaching about it the last several weeks. That as we acknowledge the darkness around us, it allows the light to become and be seen for for how great it is. And yet in the midst of that, God also gives us the gift of anger because what anger does is it ignites in us, it reminds us the passion that we have for living now. Because as much as we live in the midst of the not yet of the kingdom, of the fact that the promises have not fully come, the promises of God have broken into our world. We talked about that late last week when we talked about joy that there are ways that the kingdom of God is consistently punching its way into our world. There is an already nature to the kingdom of God. And anger is what God uses to stir us up and to remind us that he's calling us to participate with the work that he is doing right now. Anger is what stirs us up to say, no, there are things that are not right in this world, and there is something that I can do about that. The anger moves us. But anger allows us to become aware of the values that we hold on to in our lives. It's one of the things God, God does with anger is He clarifies for us what's important to us. He shows us what is worth fighting for, and it can even give us the energy that we need to fight for the things that matter. To pursue intimacy, to pursue change, to do it with passion. We talked about how being people of peace often feels like a fight. Our anger for peace can be what gives us the energy to drive toward pursuing it in our world and in our lives. Think about the work that we as Midtown Fellowship are pursuing in the Napier community. There's this place in our city where we said there are churches in Napier, but there's not a church that is of Napier and for the people that live in Napier. So one of the guys on staff with us, Jonathan Nash, said, hey, uh, I care about that. I'm I'm angry for what God is doing there, and me and my family are going to move in to get a sense of what is God doing here, and then to ask God, God, how are you asking us to be a part of that? And as, as Jonathan and his family have done that, they've had other people who have come alongside them and said, yeah, we are angry for that too. That's DeCarlos, that's Nicole, the people who, uh, who've been organizing the stocking drive who are saying, we care about what God is doing in Napier and we're here paying attention to it and we want to get angry and passionate about being a part of what God is doing here. Some of you are involved in that team. And there are stories that you could tell about things in that community that make you angry. Yes. That's the work of God. And in the same way that we see things that are worth getting angry about that are out there, that there are things that are worth getting angry about that are happening in our own hearts and lives. just trying to think about which example for my own life to use for this right now. The places that I've been angry, like yesterday, uh, I will tell you, with my children. And there are some ways that it came out of me that I'm not proud of and that were not good. And yet, part of what God is revealing to me through that is, whoa, there are things that I value for my kids and for my family that God is calling me to pursue, He's stripping back the um, the spiritual apathy that can so easily creep in and waking me up to know I'm I'm passionate about uh, what is happening in the lives and the hearts of my children. Anger does that. It it clarifies for us. Guys, anger can even be what God uses uh, to grow us in intimacy with other people. I got a friend two weeks ago who called me and said, hey, uh, I'm angry, and I'm angry with you. And here's what you did that made me angry and that hurt. It was such a gift to me to have someone lean in and say, I care enough uh, to bring this to you and to seek reconciliation and peace in this relationship. Anger does that. And if that's true with our relationships with people, that's true for our relationship with God. That anger can actually promote intimacy in your relationship with God. because t- And the Psalms, uh, they're full of this stuff, of the psalmist crying out to God saying, God, where are you? Look at what's happening around me. This is not good. Why are you letting this happen? I'm angry. All we consistently see is God shows up there. Maybe not always on the time frame that we want, maybe not always in the ways that we expect. If, if we are honest, there are times that it feels like God is very far away. That we wonder, God, are you even real because you feel so distant? And it's tempting for us in that place to shut down our hearts, to push it down, to say it doesn't matter, to ignore it, to, to, to run away from it. And no, what, what God calls us to constantly is would you bring that to me? to trust that this anger I'm stirring up in you can even be a gift. Anger is a key part of us being a people who are willing to persevere in longing. But that anger, it also needs to be disciplined. That anger also has to be brought under the discipline of the gospel. Right now, if you're here, it means that you're missing the World Cup, right? For some of you, that's very sad. For some of you, you don't even know what I'm talking about. But there's a person who's playing in the World Cup. His name is Lionel Messi, right? And um, he's old, at least by soccer standards, okay? Uh, But his team is playing in the final. And part of the reason that is happening is this is a man who is very gifted but has learned over the years to bring discipline to the gifts that God has given him. Because gifts without discipline, you would play like the Americans. It may get you a little ways, but it's not going to get you all the way, right? It's a young team. We have a lot of hopes, okay? Next time. Uh, but that's what we, we see that all around us in our world is that the gifts that God give us gives us, they're gifts that need to be disciplined. That's true with our anger. One of the ways that that God brings discipline to that is by teaching us about what anger looks like, by telling us what it looks like for Him. Our God is a God who is angry. We see that one chapter over in Isaiah 66. For behold, the Lord will come and fire his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. And our God, guys, our God is a God who comes with anger because our God is a God who loves. And that's what love looks like. That when God looks at what sin has done to us and what sin has done to our world, that God is angry. And what he's promising us is there will be a day that I come and I deal with that sin. But what he also tells us is that he, he's moved on our behalf in that sin. Like I said, he's angry for what sin has done to us. It makes me think of Exodus 2. This is early in Israel's history when the people of God are, are in slavery in Egypt. It says, During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And then you know what God did? God sent Moses. The people groaned, they cried, and so God heard, he remembered, he saw, and he knew. And then God moved. But his love for, God's love for his people, it moves God on their behalf. That God is angry for you. He's passionate for you. He's moved in his inward being with compassion and with anger for you because of how much he loves you. When we think of John 3.16, God so loved the world, if we think about it, it, I I think it's like if we were going to post it on Instagram, we'd put it with like a nice mountain lake behind it. What a calming thought. Oh guys, for God to tell us he so loved the world he sent. That God so loved that he moved. What God is saying is he's angry on behalf of his people. Like a desperate mother longing for a missing child, who is dedicated to finding that child, who's willing to do whatever it takes. And that's God. That God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave and that he came himself. And what is true, what happened to Jesus on the cross is that anger that God had towards sin, the wrath that we deserve because of our sin, it was poured out on Jesus. But that is how God dealt with his anger against sin and, and, and at the same time his anger for us, is his love for us, is he was willing to take that anger on himself. And it teaches us, it disciplines us about what anger looks like what anger disciplined by the gospel can look like. The first thing it teaches us is to to inquire and to listen to the Holy Spirit in our anger. Do you guys ever kick pieces of furniture in your house? It happens to me all the time. That's one of the things that makes me um, most immediately angry. That and stepping on small toys, Okay. They've made me bleed before. It makes me so angry. And this last week, I kicked a, a, a sofa in my house, and my first question in, inside of me was, who put this here? I put it there, right? I'm the one who moves the furniture in my house. But that's what anger does often is, is I, what happens often is, is when I'm in pain, when, I, when, I, when there's suffering in my life, when someone confronts me with something, that what comes out of me is anger as a reaction. Okay, okay. rather than giving that anger the keys to my car, the discipline of the gospel is to say, Lord, what are you speaking to me here in this? But the fact that our God gets angry at sin, and what we know is that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God is that it teaches us that there may be something in us that God is trying to discipline, and our anger can show us that. But if anger shows us what we love, there are times that our loves have become disordered, times that our loves have become twisted, times that the care for ourselves that is a very natural, like, commanded part of what God tells us to do has become uh, misprioritized and become selfish. And sometimes the anger that comes out of me is what clues me in, like, whoa, whoa, that was really strong. Maybe there is something else that's happening here. Maybe there's something that God is calling me to fight for. Maybe there's something that God is calling me to repent of. Yeah. That causes us, it it requires us to lean in and to listen. To acknowledge that it's possible that the anger that we are giving out toward other people has something to do with what's happening inside of me that anger is a clue to some of these other emotions. But anger can wake me up to the fear that I am dealing with myself. Because if I don't deal with it, you know, I'm gonna make, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make you deal with it. And anger can be a clue, oh, there's a lot of fear going on in here. It's the same with shame. And I can pour out anger on other people because of the shame that is inside of me. And so the discipline of the gospel is to bring that to Jesus and to say, Jesus, what is happening in here? Friends, we, because of of what God has done for us, because of the love that he has poured out and is constantly pouring out on us, it gives us the freedom to then admit where we mess things up. It gives us the freedom to honestly, honestly inquire of God, God, is there a way that this is coming at me that is not good? Is there a way that this fighting for something has become fighting with someone? It gives us the courage to see that because we know that acknowledging it, uh, there's nothing, that it, it has no power to change who we are or how much we're loved. It's the security of the gospel, of the love that God has already poured out on us, that gives us the security to honestly look at ourselves. that love that disciplines our anger to become like the anger of Jesus, the kind of anger that allows us to not insist on our own rights, but gives us the passion and the energy to give ourselves away. So anger is what God uses to stir up our longing, to push it into movement, into participation with the kingdom of God. And yet the gospel brings discipline to that anger. It gives it direction. It allows us to sit and to listen to the Lord in it and for it to become something that uh, allows us to look to the interests of others rather than to the interests of ourselves. Which means that one of the best things that can happen for Nashville, one of the best things that could happen for East Nashville is that this room of people would get angry one of the the best things that could happen for East Nashville is that this room of people would get angry, would have our longing stirred up, our passion for the kingdom of God being advanced in our community to be stirred up. That we would be angry to see, God, we want to see you move in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. We're passionate for that. That we would be angry for the people around us to know the good news and the gospel of Jesus. That's a good thing that we would be stirred up to seek the good of our neighbors and the people who are around us of our wider community, that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? That we'd get to participate then with the Lord as he disciplines that anger and directs it. As he teaches us to walk with him as we long for the home that he's preparing for us. So I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and we're going we're gonna to start uh, by singing a song of longing. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It allows us to engage with the fact, uh, in the words and in the tone of the song, that this world is not the world as it one day will be. And we'll move out of that then towards celebration for what God has done, and and, and then with celebration out into our world. So pray that you would, I'll, I'll pray for us in a second, um, that we'd be able to, that the Holy Spirit will lead our hearts, kind of in that progression, in that growth and anger, uh, even this morning. Let me pray for us. Oh Father, we uh, we confess, Lord, we confess. There are so many places our hearts have grown cold. Uh, where the longing that we're talking about. Uh, Has in many ways died within us. Lord, we pray that you would revive that in our hearts this morning. And Jesus, we confess there are so many places that our anger has come out of us in ways uh, that have hurt other people, that rather than bringing peace, have brought war, ways that uh, rather than bringing health, have brought destruction. Oh, Father, would you forgive us? And as we spend this time worshiping you this morning, would you. Would you stir us up uh, in you? When me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.